On today's episode of Lifting the Lid, we have the lovable arrogant Gus Wallen. Welcome, Gus. G'day, Dino. How are you, champion? Good, mate. I'm sure you've been called lots of things. I'm sure lovable and larrikin would have been called a few times. Yes, I have been called that a few times. I, I like that as well. That's nice. That's a good way of looking at it. Thank you. <laughs> um, now, look, I guess at this time, it feels necessary just to talk about the coronavirus situation. How are you travelling? Are you in full lockdown or how's your situation? Sorry, no, I've just had another call come through that. Can you give me two minutes and I'll, I'll start again? Sorry, mate. Yeah, no worries at all. I'll give you buzz back. Okay, so I could have easily edited this out, but I decided to leave it in for a couple of reasons. One being that it leads us into a discussion about COVID-19 and what it's currently like in New York, and we also reference it again at the end of the podcast. And number two, that phone call just happened to be from one of the biggest movie stars in the world, so I was happy to take a back seat for a few minutes. Anyway, let's get back to Gus. Sorry, Dean, that was the Wolverine calling from the US. We've been trying to contact each other the last couple of hours, so I just wanted to make sure that uh, I got my message across to him. Sorry about that. Mate, no problem at all. I'll um, happily go and hold for the big Hugh Jackman any time, mate, so that's <laughs> perfectly fine. No worries. He's all good. He's, New York is obviously the epicenter of the whole world with this. They lost over 1,000 people yesterday alone. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. They're in full lockdown. I mean, you can't even buy alcohol, I don't think, at the moment. He said that um, for him, it's just, you know, they take it really seriously. So go out in your car. They walk everywhere. They're in a village sort of set up, and yep. they go to the shops a couple of times a week. They walk the dogs, just in a real, just round the block a couple of times. Keep it really simple. Even if you haven't come in contact with anything or anyone, just wash your hands thoroughly when you get home. Put your clothes in the washing machine, you know, and that's it. And that's what you do. And it's weird and it's strange, but it's just the way it is. And otherwise, you just don't know who's touched that um, shopping trolley before him and whatever else might happen. So it's, um, it's important that he gets away to the Hamptons on the weekend. So he's very lucky he's got that to be able to do. But sorry about that. Do you want to start again, mate? Sorry, I apologise. Mate, no drama at all. Good to know Hugh's okay. How are you doing in isolation with the radio show and you got you for life commitments? Yeah, it's certainly a challenging time. I've been really lucky in some ways that, um, you know, got you for life has been able to pivot quite quickly. The programs that we support um, have been able to go online and that only took us a couple of weeks, really. We did some trials within a few days and then within a couple of weeks we had everything up and running and it's obviously much more difficult to do you know these programs online than they are in surf clubs or sporting clubs or schools but um, we've been able to do that much less people each time about 20 25 at a time using the zoom technology and it seems to be working pretty well um, so we're up and running that with the girls nights the gatherings as well as the blokes nights as well as Tomorrow Man and Tomorrow Woman programs. I'm now doing things like this with you, you know, podcasts. I've got three or four of those to do today. And I've got some webinars coming up this week. I do some work with Channel 7 and Channel 9, and they've brought crews to my house. So I haven't had to worry about going into studio and stuff. And when I do stuff with Channel 9, I go to a secondary studio in Willoughby where no one else is there and all the instructions are there for you to wipe down everything before you get on the seat and the earpiece and everything and everything's remotely done now from a director's box so there's no crew and cameramen and that sort of stuff now so it's different but we've been able to manage and pivot our way around what's been an unprecedented time you know I just can't believe it Dean that we're we got to this place so quickly you know it was only a couple of weeks ago it seems that everything was normal um, but I'm just trying my best to let everyone know that it's a physical isolation but it's not a it's not a total isolation, so please use whatever you possibly can technology-wise to um, keep in contact with as many 
people as possible because if we keep it in contact, we're more likely, I reckon, to get through it okay. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the remote technology, which has been a godsend for most, but I imagine the isolation is one of the biggest challenges you're facing with your foundation at the moment with a spike in domestic violence and the mental health side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, there's been a spike already in suicides. There's been a spike in other incidents as well. And, you know, for all the good that people are talking about, I reckon it's the first time social media has actually been used for good. It really has been wonderful how people have rallied together and let other people know how they're coping and, and families doing puzzles and board games and coming up with different games of sport in and around, you know, their backyards, front yards and in their homes and stuff. But, you know, the flip side of that is, you know, there's a lot of people there in some very awful relationships and toxic relationships and they're very, very difficult for those people at the moment. And, you know, the simple fact is that the government made a decision that, that alcohol was an essential, you know, only essential things were kept going and kept kept open and, and alcohol was one of those things, which meant people just stored up and stored up and they know they put some limits on it, but they're ridiculous limits. You can still buy a couple of cases and a couple of bottles of wine and six bottles of this and that. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's per person per day. So, you know, if you've got three or four people in the home doing that, you've got more alcohol than you ever need. And, you know, some people can have alcohol and it can work perfectly, but others it puts them in all sorts of danger. So I am really worried about this time of isolation that we're gonna we're gonna have even more dramas. And plus, you know, just people are losing their jobs, you know, and suicide is a situation, you know, fifty percent of suicides are situational. You know, they're making snap decisions when they haven't had a chance to really think them through and I'm 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 really, really worried about a spike in those. I've already heard from one Ambo mate of mine, he'd go to one suicide a week in his area and he had four last week so you know i'm just hoping that isn't hoping that doesn't continue yeah and i think it's the uncertainty we don't know we don't know how long this is going to go on for like if there was a date in sight you can go okay well i can manage a few weeks or whatever it might be but the uncertainty is we don't know if it's weeks months or or potentially longer so i guess that's also really scary yeah exactly no finishing line you know and we feel out of control and blokes in particular hate feeling out of control you know the the times where i feel that blokes are at their best is when they feel really safe in a room or with a bunch of blokes and they talk really openly honestly with some vulnerability and at the moment everyone's just puffing their chest out and saying no she'll be right i'll be able to cope with this and that sort of stuff because we we are so uncertain you know we just don't know the answers to the to a lot of questions that are being thrown us from our kids and our partners we're looking at our savings and we're looking at our life if you haven't got a job and stuff we're out of control. So it's the worst possible combination. You add that with all the grog going on, plus the fact you can't get out and, and, and about, um, you know, that's the real negative side of this. Um, I've seen some real positives, but that's a part that, you know, the lives that you and the area you and I are working in is, you know, that's a real worry. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I guess there's a lot of positives that can be taken from the situation as well, though. I mean, spending more time with our families and maybe reevaluating how we live our life when the restrictions are lifted. I know. I noticed you had an all night long sing along at home the other day with the family. <laughs> Lionel Richie will never forgive me. <laughs> well, that was see, that was a fun thing, Dean. Like my son said to me, you know, come on, Dad. I was watching, you know, probably the fifth or sixth episode in a row of, you know, that Tiger King, yeah, um, that everyone was telling me to watch, and I was fascinated how weird that whole show was. Yeah, that, me too. My son Jack got up and said, um, "Come on, Dad, we're going to play this game, you know," and we just played this fun game where he basically said, you know, you've got to name an, name an animal, you know, one through the other. And so I'd say bear and he'd say koala and then it'd go around the room. And there was six or seven of us here because, you know, I've got a Brisbane big family and we've got my son's girlfriend who's in lockdown with us. 
you know, and we were just laughing our heads off at the funniest things, and it was really silly. But we wouldn't have done it if we weren't in lockdown. Like, we, yeah, it would have been off somewhere, and we never had so many dinners at the table as we do now because you're sort of forced to do it. And I'm like, why aren't we? Why haven't we been doing this? When did we stop doing this? So there's some real yeah, positives and stuff, and. I've tried, Dean, to be as positive as possible on with tips and stuff for people on socials. Um, there's a lot of people asking for their, my advice, and I get over a 1,000 messages a day from Aussies and people around the world saying, this is my situation, can you give me some advice? And I can't get to them all, so I find if I just do a, a quick video or, or, or a message out there, then that hopefully will give people, you know, something for them to, to hang on to and, and you know, turn something into a positive. Absolutely. And look, I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking more about Gotcha for Life. We'll, we'll circle back around to that in a moment. But sure. I want to talk about, um, I guess, where I was first introduced to you, which was in the Aussie Goes Barmy TV series. <laughs> so yeah. cause I remember that vividly, you know, you coming on doing the first intro next to Hugh. Yeah. Can you just tell me how that came to be? And I guess... Yeah we can probably talk a little bit about what you're doing before that because you seem to come from nowhere mm. all of a sudden to be fronting this TV show. I know. I really did come from nowhere and I was just, I was really lucky. What basically happened was, as you know, Hugh Jackman and I have been best mates since kindy and he had just started his own production company called Seed in Australia and he was thinking about that with his wife and what sort of shows that they would do and so forth. And at the same time, he was over doing a movie uh, for Woody Allen in London and it was during the ashes of 2005 and he was actually walking on the street and Ricky Ponting was in a rental car with his wife and Ricky was captain of Australia 2005 and he sort of shouted out the window and, and they had this sort of mutual love in towards each other. Jack, I couldn't believe that Ricky knew his name and vice versa. And they sort of chatted on the side of the road whilst Ricky was in the car and he said, look, you must come to the test at Lord's gave him his card and Jacko rang me and said, look, Ricky Ponting's just said, you know, he'd like us to go to the test match. I said, mate, beautiful. I was in London at the time. Um, so I, I was actually in England in the time. I came down to London. Um, Jacko and I went off to the cricket and at, at about five o'clock there was a message from Ricky's like personal assistant or manager or agent, someone saying, look, Ricky would love you to come in and just see the boys. At that time, they were about to wrap up that test match. So only a few more wickets to get, and it was going to be one nil in the series. So we went back up into the Lord's dressing room and had like two or three hours with the Australian team. It was a complete mutual love. In Jacko was just loving being there. They were loving him being there. All the guys were ringing up their girlfriends and wives and getting Jacko to speak to them on the phone. The beers were flowing and. It was just one of those fantastic sort of nights. And Matty Hayden actually gave us the cricket bat each and we were there sort of dancing down the pitch as we were, you know, going towards the tube station to get on the tube to go home and just after a couple of babies going, how good was that? And that started an idea of, you know, where are the characters gone in Australian cricket? Do you reckon we could do a show around Australia and, and around the Australian cricket team and maybe some other? And it just started a bit of a conversation anyway. A year later, Jacko was over in Sydney, um, was doing A Boy From Oz, and he saw on the back page of the telly one year left for the Ashes to come back because we, of course, lost that series. And he yeah. was really – everyone was starting to talk about it. And he rang me and said, mate, what about that idea? We've got to get that idea up and running. And so he and I basically came up with an Aussie Goes Barmy where I'd support the Australian team but live with the Barmy Army during the Ashes back in Australia. And um, Jacko at the time, obviously a bit of a big deal, and he knew people at Foxtel. And so he 
basically pitched the idea. They thought that was a great idea. And then they said, well, who's going to be the Aussie? And Jacko said, trust me, he's my best mate. I reckon he'll do a good job. Um, so they flew me over and I met with Brian Walsh and a few people at Foxtel and they put me through my paces for a half a day or so. And at the end of that, they said, yep, we're going to give him a go. So that's literally, I was selling laptop computers for Toshiba up and down the Midlands and North of Scotland. And then the next minute I was flying over to do a TV show in Sydney and, and in Australia. And my wife was like, if I don't let you do it, you'll never forgive me. So let just go for it. And Toshiba said they'd give me six months off. Um, if it didn't work out, I could come back. So I felt like I had nothing to lose. So there we were, six months later, doing an Aussie Goes Barney, and it just went so well. Fox 8 were just wrapped with it. And we actually did the show, produced it up. Um, Maddie Weiss, who's now the head of cricket at Fox Cricket, he actually sort of was on location with us on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Then the show went to air on a Sunday, like it's the first time anyone's sort of ever done that so quickly. Crazy turnaround. And it rated its tits off. So we're up and running. So we then I then got a few other gigs at Fox and then we did a course and Aussie goes Bolly in India, then an Aussie goes Calypso, Calypso yeah. in the West Indies and and then off the back of that I was chatting to uh, I was chatting to the breakfast show in Melbourne and the boss of Triple M was in a cab between the airport and the station and he heard me telling stories about the day with Viv Richards in Antigua and stuff and he, Said he stayed in the cab for the end of the story. He wanted to hear the end of the story. He hadn't done that for a while. He was looking for a new breakfast show in Sydney. And so that was that was an opportunity then. I, I, and then I was on Triple M for 11 years doing brekkie. It's pretty amazing what those little opportunities can do. And where if you open yourself to those situations, where mm. I guess your life can take you. Yeah. But tell me, what was your favourite An Aussie Goes series? Or the best thing about each particular one? Yeah, I mean, for me, probably the best one was when I'm – I always do my best work and I'm slightly out of my comfort zone where I need to sort of lift and get out of my comfort zone. And that was pretty much the nine weeks we spent in India. Um, India is an amazing country, but it also tests you big time, especially emotionally, and I'm a very emotional being. So I found myself really struggling at the end of most days because I just saw that – just saw so much in India mm. that I just think is so unfair. There's just so many, so much, so many people with money, and then there's just this enormous amount of people with nothing. It's almost a feast or famine, isn't it? It's like the really wealthy or the really poor. That's it. There's hardly a, the middle class is growing there. There's no doubt through tech mainly, but yeah, you're absolutely got nothing to worry about ever in your life when it comes to money, or you are on the street and you don't know where your next meal is coming from. And I found that really difficult. Um, and the whole country is, is sort of organised chaos, and I just didn't feel that. In one way, religion made them calm and, and soft and gentle, and then there was another time where you just sort of saw the country just be so horrible and mean to each other. Um, just getting into a cricket ground sometimes, you know, the selfishness and the way that people would just put their head down and get whatever they wanted to get, didn't care about anyone else. And then you go the next morning to a beautiful um, Sikh temple, and there was blokes there making meals for... 10,000 people that were coming for breakfast, lunch and dinner, you know, and they were just giving their whole lives up just to make sure other people are okay. And I just got so confused by the country, but went down south and it was absolutely beautiful. Up north, absolutely beautiful. Then the major cities, I could probably give them a miss. Um, I just found it a bit too confronting, but had a ball. The show went really well. I stuck up for Andrew Simons during that monkey gate. Oh, yep. If you remember, there was a lot of stuff going on there, and that got some headlines, and Channel 9 played that, and then 
you know, our, our ratings went to nearly half a million people on Fox on Fox 8, that particular show. So it goes to show a little bit of publicity in the free-to-air market really helped us. And then, of course, uh, Aussie Goes Calypso was brilliant, but, you know, completely different, trying to find things to do because it's just such a laid-back, <laughs> easygoing sort of lifestyle. But, you know, getting picked up by Viv Richards as I arrived in Antigua and spent the day in his soft top cruising around, seeing his old school and his old grounds and just having a day with him was pretty spectacular. But I think probably the greatest day of my life was, you know, over a 12-hour period, a sunrise over the Taj Mahal and then driving the five, six hours to Delhi and going into a hotel room and, and interviewing Sachin Tendulkar. I mean, to me, that I just have to pinch myself to realise. Well, you're a big cricket nuffy too, aren't you? Oh, I mean, yeah, I've got a show at the moment on Fox Cricket called The Cricket Tragic. Yeah, I've seen it. It's good. I just love it, you know, and it's the game I love the most. So mm, me too. for me, that's just amazing. And we had the same crew from Barney, Bolly through to Calypso. So we all became really good mates. You know, we're still really good mates today. We've got a WhatsApp group. We chat all the time. We help each other out as much as we can. And Matty Weiss, who was the EP of my shows back then, is now the boss of Fox Cricket and the producer at the time was my EP now on Cricket Tragic. So we've kept it within the family. We've stayed great mates over the years. And, uh, you know, I was a very lucky boy, Dean. Um, people say to me, oh, you, you only got your great because you make for Hugh Jackman. I said, yep, that's absolutely right. But once I got... But in, I was going to say, in saying that, it's all well and good to someone to give you an opportunity. But if you're no good or you don't deserve it, it's not going to take you any further. You've still got to have all that skill set behind you to really carry that through. Yeah, well, thanks, Dan. Well, that's what I sort of said to him, you know, like he'd give me my first crack and Jacko believed in me and he knew that I could do it. I mean, we'd known each other all our lives and he said, I just know you'll be sweet. And he said, you're destined to do radio. That's what I think you yeah. end up doing. And he was absolutely right. And there's no one more prouder of me than in my career than um, than he is. So, you know, I'm very, very lucky boy. Uh, I, I felt like the door was a jar for me and I was able to get through it and you know I haven't lived I haven't lived a day without media since I started on an Aussie Goes Barney what's that about 14 years ago so yeah long may I continue now I'm still doing my radio but gotcha for life is obviously my number one priority I love doing cricket tragic it gives me that balance but the work I'm doing saving lives and trying to change the way that blokes perceive themselves, um, you know, I think is probably going to be the work that I'm going to be the most proud of. Absolutely. Now, all these stories do bring us up close to Gotcha for Life, but I'd just like to go back for a moment to when you first met Hugh and the other core group of mates that still obviously play a big part in your life. And just tell me how those friendships have developed over the years. Look, I've, I've been very lucky. I went to a school, Knox Grammar School, went to the prep school after going to Pimble Publics. And Pimble Public was where I met Hugh. We're in kindergarten together, and I remember the first day at school, you know, and they turn around and you get, get yourself in two lines and hold the hand of the person next to you, and that just happened to be Jacko. Um, and we've stayed best mates ever since. But you're right, we've got a key group of mates. There's about eight or nine of us, you know, at different times that have always been there for each other, been pretty tight as a group. And, you know, we now – I walk with three of them this morning. I walk with a few more of them up until this – damn virus took us. There was eight or nine of us going on and we've got Jacko and another bloke called Bimo that live in, in America, in New Jersey and New York, those two guys. So they see each other and when they're out together and then they FaceTime all of us, we've stayed really, really tight. But the school for me wasn't much more than just an opportunity to socialise and play sport. I wasn't much of a 
academic and um, we just, I don't know, got really lucky with the group of mates we got. We all just really enjoyed each other's company. We've stayed pretty much the same sort of blokes. We've, we've always loved sport. That supposes that love of sport has been the absolute focus. But the last few years, our relationship's gone a lot more deeper because of the stuff that I've been doing with the Man Up series and Gotcha for Life. It has brought us even closer. But, yeah, we've known each other for over 40 years. Plus, I've got three other mates that I grew up with in the same street in Pimble who are absolutely my best mates as well. So we're all this big bunch of blokes who just love each other and we don't mind being vulnerable. We always hug each other. We always feel like we can talk to each other about things that are really open because there's going to be no judgment. No one cares. Um, Jacko feels really good within that group of friends too, because there's no one, you know, just saying yes to him because he is who he is. Like he's, it's, it's true friendship group you'll get an absolute honest answer from all of us and you know there's love there but there's also respect and friendship and um love and friendship uh, doesn't necessarily mean you have to be yes men all the time you know he probably gets that more than most and i think he goes into our group of friends knowing that he's going to get the truth and he can be open and honest as well because you you need someone to, to have those proper conversations with so been really really lucky all the way from school kept friends you know added friends on as i've gone along and stuff but i've always had that core group of mates that have known me right from when i was a little tacker mate it seems like yourself and hugh are kind of the two nicest people in the world but there's got to be a dark side there's got to be there's got to be something (laughs) mate can you give us anything yeah for sure i mean i've worked on myself a lot in the last few years as well especially around my kids sport i've really had to lift and give myself an uppercut at times where my behavior <laughs> i'm the same yeah in water polo in particular it's one of those games so much is happening under the water you know how much work has gone in i mean water polo got ranked the number one toughest sport on the planet by sports illustrated three months ago so in head of nfl in head of nrl in head of ice hockey the number one sport for toughness on the planet is water polo and my daughters both play at a pretty good standard and believe me i have not been happy with some of my behavior at times <laughs> with um with how i've supported my kids looking up in the pool at me just embarrassed and stuff so um that's definitely my thing and i've worked on it and now i just tend to commentate for the parents that aren't there on whatsapp that keeps me concentrating and that keeps me going plus it's something that i find fun and enjoyable so when my daughter won the national title uh, a couple of months ago in Brisbane, I commentated the entire set of games and that just kept me out of trouble. They gave me a little box to work in so I couldn't shout and scream at the umpires. <laughs> so for me, that's that. Jacko is pretty perfect, I must admit. People say to me when they say, oh, he can't be as nice as he comes across. It's like, um, he actually is nicer than that. He's so modest <laughs> and caring and supportive and stuff. But he has his moments, like everyone else. You know, there are times where... You know, we are challenged and stuff, and he, like everyone else, you know, will always, you know, fall back on his set of friends to sort of have an open, honest conversation with. But, yeah, no, he's he's pretty perfect. He's um, You find it hard to find anyone to say a bad word against him. Well, I must say, mate, I've always been a big Wolverine fan, so if I had a man crush, it would have been Hugh. Yeah, he goes all right. Yeah, you like to hear those stories because I have had situations where I have met people who I have considered my heroes and peers, and, and when you meet them, they don't always live up to your expectations, and you can get disappointed. Isn't that sad, Dean, when yeah. you've heard someone up in a light like that, and then you, within 10 minutes you're like, 
No. Yeah, absolutely. But um, past the Aussie Goes series, you mentioned yeah. already transitioning into the radio. Just tell me what it was like to work on those one, I guess, with you know Matty Johns, which you did for a long time, and then and then into the Moon Man later on. What was what was radio like working in those teams? Basically, when I when I had that chat with um, Guy Dobson, who was head of um, Austereo at the time, now Southern Cross Austereo, he went to be chairman of the board, and now he's left, but. We're talking sort of 12 years ago. He said, look, I need to change things up in Sydney. We want to get like a sports entertainment type program. We're trying to get Maddie Johns. We've looks like we've secured Mark Geyer. And I'm like, wow, Mark Geyer, like the bloke who fought Wally Lewis. And it's like, oh, my God. I remember that Origin game and that moment so vividly. That in the 91 grand final, I mean, MG was my footy hero growing up. Oh, absolutely. And, and I spent a lot of time with MG. We went... Did a lot of fun things together. We went to Gallipoli together. We went to Hawaii together. We went on a lot of road trips and stuff. And he, we were born on the same day, same day, same year. But as he said, different sides of the track. Um, but immediately sort of really loved each other and were like brothers. So that was great. And then we had Stewie McGill because we missed out on Maddie. We had Stewie McGill for the first six or seven months of the show. And he was a difficult character. He was hard to... Reed, and he was one of those blokes that wasn't much of a team player, which was what most people sort of knew anyway. But I'd met him a few times outside of cricket, and I really enjoyed his company. And he's a great bloke to have a beer with. And that didn't work out. So once he left, MG and I did the show together for a few months for ourselves, and then all of a sudden, Maddie became available, and that was fantastic. We had the next eight years, Maddie, me, and MG, which was absolutely awesome. And then um, MG left to do his nighttime show, and then. That last year with Maddie, I sort of felt it, it might be the last for us and in that sort of format. I don't know. The world was getting a bit too PC for my liking. We, there was more and more stuff that we were getting in trouble for doing and it just didn't seem as much fun. And, you know, Maddie was having heaps of fun on his TV programs. Plus, you know, he didn't like getting up at four o'clock every morning. You know, to him, that was he was a really good, he was a bit of a night owl. He liked having a drink and chilling out at night. And the thought of waking up at four o'clock, I think, for another couple of years when that deal was put to him he went no so that I knew that would change my life as well um, because I was very much linked to the grill team and then when Moonman came along it was like okay well he's a great bloke I've always liked him as a person Pagey is still there and Pagey's been a big part of the grill team so that was great Jess came along and I was like well she's an absolute whirlwind so let's see what happens here but the show was never the type of show that would allow me to do what I want to do, which was obviously talk about sport yeah. um, and have my own stories and that sort of stuff. It was more about the moon man, and that was fine. That's the way that Triple M decided to go, and I was thinking, well, ten and a half years probably enough, and Gotcha for Life needs me more, and when they offered me Dead Set Legends, that was enough for me to go, right, that's going to give me you know, the balance I need with the cricket tragic and I'll be able to do my gotcha for life stuff during the week and, and I'll let Moon Man and his crew move on and, um, you know, I wish them all the very best with everything. But it was sad to say goodbye, but my mental health and my physical health since I made that decision has absolutely gone through the roof. So it was definitely the right call for me to do it. Um, but, you know, like anything, if you've done it for more than 10 years, it's it's it's, it's hard to you know, to break that habit, you know, of getting up and getting into it as I used to do. And how's the new crew? You've got Wendell Saylor and Jude Bolton on the Dead Set Legends. Yeah, 
group, again, very similar cats to Maddie and MG, really good blokes, just want to have a laugh, both legends at their own sport. Dell's a dual international, yeah. 300-gamer, two premierships. Um, you know, Wendell, World Cup final in the Union, three premierships in the in the rugby league, um, and just really good blokes. Don't take themselves too seriously. Dell's obviously, um, you know, is full of himself, but just, you know, why not? He's done so much, yeah. and he does it with a – like a real um, glint in his eye, you know. He doesn't mean he just has – it's just so fun. So I love being with those two blokes. Dell's another guy that's exactly what he's like on the radio and what you might see. Behind the scenes, he's exactly yeah. the same, if not worse, a lot of the times. I'll, I'll give you one quick story about Dell. Yeah. So I've met him a couple of times, and um, we were on a uh, charity event up on the Gold Coast like years ago. It might have been 10, 15 years ago now. Okay. It was an auction event, and he put up one of his jerseys. It was a one of his rugby jerseys at the time. Mm-hmm. And I bought it. You know, I was a big Wendell Saylor fan, paid 500 bucks for this jersey at the time. <laughs> After the auction, went out and had a few drinks, you know, with a bunch of other people and all the rest of it. And then he's like talking about the jersey. I'm like, oh, mate, you know, I'm stoked to get your jersey. And he basically said to me, yeah, he said, well, he said that night, that was basically the worst game of my whole life. I was desperate to get rid of that jersey. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's fantastic. Thanks, mate. <laughs> But he is a great bloke, though, isn't he? He's a champion. He's so open and honest and stuff, you know, and I, and I love it. We've got a WhatsApp group with our producer, and it's, I wake up every morning, what am I going to see? You know, I'm glad I'm not the administrator. It's just <laughs> it's so much fun. We have an absolute ball, and Jude's exactly the same. Jude's just a real solid unit, you know, and he's so bloody handsome as well. He's just a champion bloke, and it's nice to be able to talk sport again. Got really honoured. Um, they named the studio in the last couple of months before I left, the Guts Woolen studio in there at Triple M. So I walk into that studio on a Saturday morning and the plaque's up there on the door and it's like, that's really cool, you know. It's oh, very nice. There's a Doug Mulray room, there's an Ed Retention room and I've got the studio and I'm like, yeah, that's really makes me feel great because uh, I love the job so much. I, the time went really quickly. Um, I wouldn't have quite paid them for the job, if you know what I mean. But I, Yeah, I know what you mean. But I certainly... I had a great job and stuff for a long time. So great to be able to go in there and work on a sports show um, for a couple of hours, which goes super quick. And hopefully we're going to do breakfast in winter together. I've signed on to do brekkie when Moon Man's on holidays. So I'm hoping that um, that those two boys will do it too, because I think it could be another grill team, that show. you know, yeah, Absolutely. There's enough going on in our lives. I said to the boys, everything you do is content, you know, just write down whatever happens, chaps, your missus, your kids, stuff that happens in your life. There'll be something interesting in there that we can talk about and it'll get people listening and people wanting to give their stories and their side. Oh, that happened to me. That's another me story. So I reckon we've got a real opportunity there to to make a really good, Good show that could be more than just a Saturday morning show. We're just following on from what you just brought up then about, you know, everything is content. I'd want to talk a bit about the creativity and the behind the scenes type of thing. I guess how, how involved are you with, you know, not only the radio, but the TV and the stories and how things come together? You know, how dirty do you get your hands in all those different projects? I always leave it up to the producer. That's the final say. They're, that's their job. That's their number one priority is to get the show that they want. However, I tend to work with people that know me quite well. So what I tend to do is I send a whole lot of ideas and thoughts. Sometimes they're completely random. Some, Like I work on a theory of there's no bad idea. So it might be something that I haven't quite formulated, but it just triggers something in someone else. And then that might start something that ends up giving us the idea for the show. So I'm all for no bad idea, just get them out there. And WhatsApp has been brilliant for that. I do that with the Cricket Tragic. 
I do that with Dead Set Legends and I do that with anything else that I'm working on in entertainment is, you know, let's just get every idea down and let's get together and talk about it and talk about it where there's going to be no judgment because I think a lot of people at times don't feel like they can talk openly to anyone about anything because it's going to sound a bit silly and they might have the, the piss taken out of them. That's complete line through that for anyone who works with me and what I'm trying to do. It's an absolute open slather. Everyone's opinion is a good opinion and we respect it and we love them for the fact they've put their hand up or they've spoken or whatever it might be. So there's some rat bags out there that you don't want to work with. I've been able to get rid of a few of those and now I only work with people that are like-minded and all we want to do is entertain and have fun. So for me, I get stuck in as much as the producer wants me to. Normally I've got ideas whether they want them or not. I chuck them to them, but no ego. If, if they decide they don't want to do it, then no problem. Um, at the end of the day, I'll do whatever the producer says. And you mentioned a little bit about your family before, and you've got quite a decent-sized family there, <laughs> and you are a big sharer and you like to talk. <laughs> Is there any cringe-me moments when they get a bit upset about things you share on the radio, or do they know it's all part of it? Oh, yeah. No, well, they sort of know that's a part of it. There's a lot of good that comes from Dad being on Brecky Radio. You know, the money's not too bad, and... And also, you know, you get free tickets to stuff. So you go to lots of openings and bands and all that sort of stuff. So they got that. Plus, I think my son probably didn't care, but my daughters loved the fact that the dad was on radio and, you know, kids at school would say that, oh, we listened to your dad on the way to school. My son was a bit more rolled his eyes sort of stuff. But there was a day where we were talking about our kids on the radio because I had three, MG had five, uh, Maddie had two, and Paigey, I think, had just had his first one. So I said, lots of kids in the room here and stuff. I said, sometimes, you know, it's it's hard to love them all the same. You know, some kids are just better than other <laughs> kids. And, and and MG said, yeah, I rank them, you know, on, on a Sunday night. I say, well, he's ranked number one down to number five. And I said, well, I reckon I just love Jack a little bit more than the girls. And it's just like total silence. I said, you know what I mean? Like, it's just easier with Jack because, you know, like he's a bloke and I just take him to the footy and it's just easier and he, we can talk about things so much. And I was digging myself. The biggest hole, of course, didn't go down well. The girls found out about it, and it just cost me for about, I don't know, six months after that. I was flowers, chockies, <laughs> the whole bit, trying to explain to the girls it was only a joke and da-da-da. And, you know, so that was my one big moment. And plus, talking about my wife and I, intimacy and stuff at times, you know, just <laughs> forgetting that you're on radio, yeah. you know, just chatting amongst mates sort of thing and just going, what? why would you say that, mate? You know, and my wife <laughs> sending me a text going, well, that's the last you'll get of that type sort of thing. You know, that that happened reasonably regularly because I think the thing that I loved about our show was it was like three blokes just sitting around having a chat, you know, and blokes just like listening yeah. to it and girls like listening to it because it was like, well, that's what my boyfriend or, or my dad or, or other people or my husband, that's what he's talking about with his mates. So it gave them a bit of an insight. So I think MG and uh, Maddie were also good at setting you up for a lot of that stuff where they knew you would uh, go down a certain path and then they knew they would totally throw you under the bus. <laughs> exactly right. But everyone seemed to like it. So I, I suppose I just sort of went bugger. I'm just going to do myself. And, you know, I hadn't won any premierships. I hadn't won any origins. I hadn't fought Wally Lewis. You know, what, what could <laughs> I really bring to the table? So if that was a bit of being gullible and just being myself and being sort of a sports fan and having every bloke listening going, oh, I wish I could be that bloke. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'd love to be in that position. And heaps of boys used to say to me, mate, what have you done to be here? And I go, mate, well, I made a few TV shows. I said, oh, we could do that. And I go, you, 
you probably could. You probably could do that, but I've got the role, so I get staffed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like every everyone had a gust like in their group of friends, yeah, and they yeah. always thought that you know that they could perhaps do the job that I was doing, and perhaps they could. But, you know, I was lucky enough to have the role, and I wasn't going to give it up. To that point, everyone has an opinion though, and I'm sure being in the public eye, you probably hear a lot of them. Oh, look, all the time, you know, and I got it, especially on social media. Back when we started, 2009 on the radio, even before that, you know, just keyboard warriors, people that yeah. are faceless who, you know, find themselves really brave behind a keyboard, you know, telling you all sorts of stuff, you know, telling me that I'm this and that, you know, get caught an effing C and a this and a that. I get it all the time. I think I blocked over a thousand people on Twitter in the first year or so that I was there, you know, because I just... It is crazy, though, because, I mean, some people may be really out there in terms of their opinions on things, but from what I've seen of what you put out, you know what I mean? It's not as if you're an offensive guy. No, but it, people just want to have a go, you know, yeah. and they, oh, you're not quite their cup of tea or, you know, I'd say things and they didn't agree with them and stuff. So, you know, what's their one way of getting to you is to give you a views, but... MG told me, he said, just block and delete. That's it, mate. Just that's what you got to do and forget about it. And it's funny how our brains will remember the one bloke giving it to you rather than the hundred people saying, oh, I really enjoyed what you're doing and that sort of stuff. It's, it's a funny old brain of ours that sort of remembers the one negative over the, the hundred positive. So I want to talk a little bit about happiness. You've got a bit of an up and down relationship with food, haven't you? And I, I mean, we've already touched on your friendship with Hugh, but he also set you a challenge of running the New York marathon yeah after become concerned about your weight just how much of that was oh this is a good idea you know for another show versus there's actual real health concerns here oh there was definitely a win-win both ways but he was more concerned about my weight and you know i was 145 when you know he spoke to me and said look you know i'm really worried and he was living in america and obviously living his best life and feeling a million bucks and you know he was doing wolverine through that so he's probably at the peak of his fitness so for him, he just didn't quite understand, you know, why I could let myself go so badly. And he was worried as we're getting closer to 50 that there'd be, you know, stuff that like irreversible stuff yeah. and I'd end up be rattling around with tablets in me all day. So that was one big thing. Plus, he knew that I needed to have some sort of target to work towards. So that's where the show sort of came from. But initially, it was going to be the Ironman in um, Kona. We're going to do it. Um, but there was all sorts of drama trying to do that. So in the end, the marathon was what it was. But I went from 145 to 109 kgs and ran the marathon, but found it really hard. And trying to do the show at the same time of the day of the race allowed didn't allow me to do what I really needed to do, which is just to do the race. But got it done and had lots of family and stuff over there and got remarried to my wife the next morning in Central Park. So it was just an amazing time and my wife's from England so a lot of her family came from from England it's only a five hour flight and my kids were all there so it was just unreal I had the best experience really great production company um, in productions that did it with me and became great mates with all those guys so it was awesome but yeah that's been my Achilles heel is is I'm a very emotional leader either eat if I'm happy eat if I'm sad and you know things have gone well then I'll celebrate and things gone bad then i'll commiserate with food and alcohol so i just had to you know had to pull the pin and i found it much easier doing it with a film crew following you around and stuff so keeping you accountable over the next fight yeah that's right and over the next they say champions are made for when you're doing things when no one's watching yeah. you know what are you doing when no one's watching <laughs> and that's what you know olympians and world champions and stuff you know they're just disciplined and i i still haven't quite cracked that code but um, I put another five on each year until 
November really, and now I'm back on the on the way down. I'm 120 now from 146 and a half, which I was in November 8 when I left uh, Brecky Radio. And um, yeah, now I'm right back and feeling a million bucks again um, on my way down to hopefully my target of 105 and then the battle for me will be to stay there. So that brings us to your most important project. Can you tell me about the origin of Gotcha for Life and why you feel it's so important? Yeah, so uh, there's a mate of mine that took his own life. Um, He was like a real hero to me. His name was Angus as well. Uh, He was called Big Ang and I was called Little Ang and he was called Gussie and I was called Little Gussie and you know, he was like his hero of mine. You know, he's about 10 years older than me and he married my cousin. But when they were dating, he was—he taught me how to swim. He was a PE teacher. He was really sporty. He was just this great bloke that I looked up to. I'd lo- I left My dad had left the family home when I was quite young. So I was looking for older blokes to look up to. And he certainly was one that I did. And I just couldn't believe that he took his own life. You know, in fact, I went to the police and said, blokes like him don't take his own life. What are you talking about? You know, you've got to investigate this. There's been a murder, you know, just talking complete nonsense because I just didn't understand, you know, what was going on and how many blokes we do lose every single day in this country to, to suicide. So I started to investigate it. And then some people spoke to me about the Man Up program, they wanted me to host that on the ABC and I, I'm very fortunate to say that we've just ticked over 70 million views of the Man Up program. We gave it away to the world and we wanted everyone to see the program. It challenged masculinity in this country and why we lose so many blokes every single day to suicide. We lose six a day. It's the number one way to lose your life if you're a young Australian male and those figures aren't going away. In fact, they're getting worse. So. I thought, what a wonderful opportunity for me to keep the Man Up show going with a foundation because I talk to so many blokes every day on Triple M. So Gotcha for Life was formed, and I just want every bloke in Australia who, to find someone who has got them for life, someone who you can have a conversation with, warts and all, with no judgment, and you just know that they're going to look after you and they love you, and you can be totally open, honest, and vulnerable with them because we're taught from a very young age to bury our emotions, and it's unmanly to, to show you know, it's a weakness to show vulnerability and, you know, well, how that, how's that going for us, you know? It can't be going that well if we've got these huge amount of suicides. So we need to change the man code. We need to change what it takes to be a man. And that's when I started supporting, you know, Tomorrow Man and now we support Tomorrow Woman and anyone else in the field that is doing work without any ego who has got a good program, I will go into bat for them and I will find them funding and I will find them information and advice that they need to make them bigger and stronger and that's what i've been doing now for the last three years but in the last six months pretty much full time now i must admit i have been guilty of this with my own son so how do you think is the best way for us to reverse this outdated view of masculinity that we all seem to have education education is the only way so for someone like you and that's brave of you to tell me that you're struggling with your own son at times because i do the same thing um the simple fact is that we don't know any different. Our granddads taught our dads and our dads taught us and they had no idea. They were living through a very different world to the one we're working in. So we've got new information now. So we need to actually educate dad and granddad and let them know, hey, this is a different way of doing things. Like I reckon about 80% of it is about right. You want to work hard. You want to have resilience. You want to be a good bloke. You want to be a good kid, whatever it might be. But What's wrong with asking someone for help? Yeah. What's wrong with having some information in your brain that goes, oh, hold on, I'm not coping very well. I want to go and talk to my dad or my coach or my teacher or my mom or a mate of mine. You know, why don't we work on the emotional muscle? 
so we can actually have a conversation of gravity so it actually could change our life rather than just keep continually talk nonsense, sport, work, weather, that type of stuff, jokes, and then when things become really heavy, we go, oh, I don't know how to talk to anyone about it. I'm just going to bury that emotion. Yeah. I'm going to bury it down so deep. Well, eventually, it's going to just bubble away and bubble away and it's going to explode. And for some people, they explode and that is a suicide. Other people have all sorts of lives which are so sad because they haven't been able to get the words out to be able to tell someone or they make a really shit decision that changes their life forever. So we've got to teach kids and men now that it's okay not to be okay. And to be vulnerable is actually the manliest thing you can do. To stand there in silence and tell someone that you're struggling, that to me is the manliest thing you can do, much more manly than burying it and not talking to people about it. And obviously Angus's death was devastating for you. I and mean, you've already mentioned about how close you are with your own mates, but how did that change your relationship with them? I mean, obviously you would have thought you knew Angus better than anyone. Oh, there was 1,200 of us at his funeral, sitting around all looking at each other going, what the hell's going on? Well, my relationship with my mates, Dean, is a lot deeper now than it was before, and it was pretty deep before. So now I think as a group we can all talk to each other with real vulnerability and no one's going to judge them. So you can feel you can totally be yourself. And that's the absolute key. So no one's walking around with a mask on going, oh, I'm just going to try to get through this today. It doesn't mean you have to have a deep and meaningful conversation every five minutes. It doesn't mean you burst into tears every time you talk. But it does mean you can drag one mate to the side and say, hey, I'm going through a tough time. Can you help me out here? And, and also the other thing is that when you are the mate that's asked for help, doesn't mean you have to have all the answers because that's what us blokes are meant to do too we just make shit up until we come up with some sort of answer it's actually just to go thank you so much for telling me that mate now let's work on something together let's go and get some help whether it's from a gp or from a psychiatrist or a counselor or whatever it might be let's read books together whatever it might be sharing the problem is the key don't worry alone don't keep it just in your own head because you will not come up with the right answers. You need to tell someone how you're feeling so they can be a part of your team, a part of your village to get you through it. And how's the best way to become a gotcha for life mate in terms of if you have someone who you might not be at the moment looking like they're willing to share, but you know something's wrong, I guess, how's the best way for people to become that gotcha for life mate? Well, it's really hard. It's really hard to pick blokes in particular because us blokes are so good at burying our feelings. We're just continually trying to mask how we feel. So what I'm working on is for blokes to tell their mates that they're going through stuff. So it's actually the other way around because it's very hard to pick a bloke who's going through tough times. But if you do see it and they're really sad or they're starting to withdraw a little bit or they're just not themselves, say to them, how are you feeling, mate? And when they say, oh, mate, I'm sweet, you know, I'm going through a bit of a tough time, I go, well, I'm here for you, so let me help you. Talk to me about how you feel. It's about asking the second, the third and the fourth question, not just asking how, today, mate, how are you going and just accepting the answer. It's digging a little bit deeper. But that gets a bit awkward. It's not easy. Yeah. But if he's a mate and you love him, then who cares? Get through it together and he'll, he'll thank you one day for digging deep and for caring that little bit more. But in terms of turning your mates into friends is what I like to call it because we're everyone's got a few mates, but how many friends have we got, blokes you can have a talk to where there's no judgment? It's by being vulnerable yourself. You've got to start the ball rolling and saying, hey, boys, I'm going through some stuff. I love you and I really appreciate your opinion and I want to tell you because I don't want to worry about this alone. That just changes the relationship straight away. Straight away, that relationship goes from a mateship to a friendship, 
And then you never know, he might turn around and say, mate, actually, I feel a bit the same or I went through this two years ago, but I didn't want to tell you about it. I didn't want to bloody, you know, stress you out about it, but I got through it and this is how I got through it. Those type of conversations could save someone's life rather than just, you know, talking about the footy, work and weather and then just skipping around the outside of things that are really important. Tell me a bit about CoLive19, because that's another initiative you've now started with all this stuff going on. Yeah, that's right. Basically, CoLive19 is obviously this bloody virus. So CoLive19 is just contact 19 people in 19 days. So one a day for 19 days and just put it on socials to say that you caught up with a mate, whether it's FaceTime or texting or Skyping, whatever it is, just start contacting people that perhaps you haven't spoken to in a little while and then tell them to do the same. And that way, if everyone does it, then we'll eventually connect up the planet. That's probably what is the most important thing at the moment is just to feel that you're not alone. Keep connected. Uh, make sure that people know that you love them and you're caring about them and you're thinking about them. And then that'll make the isolation, which is only a physical isolation, that much easier to cope with. We're not completely isolated. Use the technology. Shout over the fence to your old neighbour saying, hey, I'm going to the shops. Anything I can get for you? You know, it's just the way that we used to be. We used to look after our village and our community. We don't do that as much anymore because we're running around so bloody busy and got so much going on. This is a chance for us to reboot Yeah, and uh, let's try to take a positive out of it. You've got a wonderful family, as you already mentioned, but what's your work-life balance like now you've gone full-time at Got You For Life? Yeah, it hasn't always been in sync, my balance, work-life balance. It's probably more in balance now than it ever has been. Certainly when you're doing breakfast radio, you know, that 3.30 alarm, it, it's not just me getting up, it's my wife sleeping in the same bed. Some people who do breakfast radio, you know, Monday to Friday, they, you know, they sleep in separate rooms and then have Friday, Saturday nights together and then not again because people can't go back to sleep again. But my wife was always pretty good at being able to go back to sleep. So I was able to sleep in the, in our room, which was lovely. But now that's not happening. I can wake up. I reckon the best time of the day is about 5.30 till 7, 5.30 a.m. till 7, because people are still sort of not quite up. You've got pretty much the roads to yourself. You've got the parks to yourself. You've got the walking, you know, places where I live down the beach is all free. So I still get up at about quarter past five and I'm out there and getting amongst it. Um, and that gives me what I need, you know, just a good start to the day, a cup of coffee, Back in the day, sitting there chatting to the local bloke in the cafe, having a laugh, talking to the locals, that would get me started. You know, I just love my local community down here on the beaches. So that was great. And then, you know, get stuck into work before, you know, shout and at your desk by 8 o'clock. You know, you can get a lot of work done before people are actually in the office, I think, uh, much more than a lot of people that might start at 9 or 10 o'clock. So for me, it's got better over the last few months but I've, it's, I've been way out at times and you find yourself if you're out of it then you tend to make bad decisions with food you make bad decisions with alcohol and you end up sort of not being the best you can possibly be so I'm really lucky now but I also say to my, my wife at times you know I'm really struggling you know I need you to help me and you know she loves to be able to help a lot of blokes out there perhaps don't ask their partner you know for help and stuff so that gives me the balance because I can have that really open, vulnerable conversation with my partner. Do you have some advice for people who might be or have been in a similar situation where they are looking to pivot or make a change perhaps quite late in life like you did? Yeah. What's some advice you could pass on? Yeah, it's difficult to pivot. I've had two big pivots in my life, one at 38 when I changed from, you know, selling laptop computers to getting into media and then, of course, leaving Brecky Radio and pivoting back into Gotcha for Life pretty much full time. So 
but I just basically had a very supportive partner. That's really important. If you've got someone who loves you and is going to back you no matter what, that just gives you an awful amount of confidence. I speak to lots of blokes who just say, mate, there's no way my missus will let me do that. You know, and that's a really big obstacle to get over. And uh, if you've got your partner that you're living with and have children with and you've got commitments with who's not willing to back you in a change because they just like the status quo. They like the fact that you're doing what you're doing and so forth. That's a really hard one. So to have a supportive partner is absolutely key. Having some sort of plan rather than just, oh, I just want to do this, well, you've got to have a little bit of plan behind it. You've got to have a little bit of understanding of the responsibility that goes with making a big pivot and you've got to have a little bit of something there to back you up if things don't go well. So it's not just as easy when you're younger. You can sort of, you know, I'm, I'm back to say to my son and my daughter who's overseas at the moment, you know, just this is your time to just go and have a crack, make some mistakes and stuff because as you get a little bit older, those mistakes tend to be bigger ones. So this is an opportunity. Don't get locked into a uni degree and a job and stuff that you may or may not really want to do for the next 20 years of your life. You know, use your your late teens and your early 20s to really work out what you want to do um, and have a fit and crack at it. You've got to have a plan. Um, you can't just go willy-nilly into these type of things. So a supportive person with you, your partner, a plan that goes with it, and then you've got to have some perseverance because it may not work out necessarily right off the bat. But if you've pivoted and you've made such a big call, you should be able to stick with it to see if it can work out, If even if it doesn't the first six or 12 months. It's very difficult to get things working sometimes, so you've just got to stick at it. And looking towards the future, where do you see yourself heading in the next five or ten years? Oh, I think Gotcha for Life will become bigger. I mean, I'd love to continue to have the balance that I have with Gotcha for Life and then my media with the Cricket Tragic and with Dead Set Legends. That just seems like a perfect sort of combination for me as I'm now 51, so that's my plan. Um, I've signed for the next couple of years with Triple M, so that looks pretty secure. And then Credit Tragic, we're up chatting at the moment about things. It's done well for them, so I'm hoping that the show will continue. And if I've got that and then I've got my gotcha for life, then I think that's where you'll see me the next five years. And outside of work, what are you looking forward to most, I guess, with your own family? Kids getting older? Yeah. Doing things without kids? No, What's the kind of family focus moving forward? I love my kids. I'm actually building granny flats out in the back of my backyard <laughs> in the hope that they'll move out there with their significant others and save up before they move out because it's bloody hard to get a decent place, especially where we've grown up. You know, I feel sorry for the kids, you know, these days with the ridiculous prices and so forth. But it's never been cheaper money at the moment. So it's about them getting out there and, you know, having a crack themselves in the next five or six years and trying to set themselves up. But, you know, I would love, you know, my kids around me and then obviously in 10 years' time or 15 years' time, you know, grandkids and that sort of stuff and just grow old here on the beaches doing my gotcha for life hopefully changing what it takes to be a man today compared to what it was in the past and that becomes something in the next few generations where it's just normal to be open honest and vulnerable that would make me feel like my life has been successful in terms of that side of it I just I I just can't stand these figures of six a day every day taking their own life and I refuse to accept it so I'm really hoping that the next 20 years we can turn that around and we get that as close to zero as as possible then I would rest easy and I'm sure if anyone's going to do it you will mate because you sound like you've got great passion towards that thanks Dean no worries at all mate now just a few quick questions to finish it up and I'm guessing I already know the answer to this one is but if you could play one sport for Australia what would it have been oh number three for Australia 
in cricket, please, mate. Baggy green. I wouldn't wear a helmet. I'd just wear the baggy green out there. <laughs> yep, unreal. And tell me about the best experience you've had. It could be work-related, outside of work, that real pinch-me moments. Yeah, certainly the waking up to the Taj Mahal and then going across India and end, ending up interviewing Sachin Tendulkar. That was an absolute pinch-me moment. Obviously, the, the three children being born and wedding days and that type of stuff. But I, probably the day that I'm probably most proud of in terms of like work stuff around Gotcha for Life is that I was running a half marathon down in um, Canberra. It actually makes me feel up even thinking about it, but he was running faster than me and we sort of went out to a point where you had to turn around and run back into Canberra. So he was obviously much far ahead of me. He had turned around. He was running back into Canberra and I was running out to that point. And he just shouted out, gosh, you saved my life. And I was like, what? He goes, you saved my life. I went, good on it. But he was running and I was running and it was gone. The moon was gone. And I'm like, I don't know how I did that. How did I save his life? And then he eventually got hold of me on Facebook. He said, I'm the bloke that ran past you in the Canberra Half Marathon. I was like, oh, mate, I was wondering what that was all about. He's going, mate, I was so close. I was literally planning it out. I bought the rope, the whole lot. And he said, I just watched your show and I just went, no, I'm going to start talking to people and tell them how I feel. And he said, part of my thing was to get myself fit again. And this marathon, this half marathon was a part of my part of my journey to get myself fit again and to get myself right. And then I couldn't believe it. I saw you and I just had to tell you, but I couldn't stop because I had a time to beat <laughs> all that stuff. And I was like, wow, I wonder how many people are like that. And that's then social media has been wonderful. I spoke earlier, Dean, when I was talking to you about, you know, all the people giving your stick about me over the years and all those people I used to block. Well, I've had thousands since Man Up tell me that, you know, that I've stopped them going down a path that might have been suicide. So that to me is probably the proudest moments every time someone tells me something like that. But that one in Canberra really sticks out. You mentioned legacy before, and I'm guessing the type of legacy you're aiming to leave behind and hopefully continue for generations is all summed up in that scenario you just mentioned. Yeah, no, exactly right. You know, and and I I, I absolutely love it. Anytime I I'm sitting there and I'm doubting myself, or I'm need I'm just worried about things, or I'm, you know, funds are always the most difficult thing for for people like us with small little foundations. You know, I'm just wondering how I can do it all. You know, that's when I remember. You know, those sort of moments and go, no, no. We've got a great we've got a great set of programs we support. Um, without us, the programs won't get to ninety percent of the people they get to. So, mate, just get off your ass and keep going. And with all this taken into account, what do you think is the key to living life on your own terms? Oh, being open, honest, and vulnerable. Taking off the mask, taking off the uniform, and letting people know who you truly are is the only way for you to truly live the, the, a true life. I believe my life has never been better when since I've dropped all the facade and actually let people know how I truly feel about stuff and their proper relationships. That means, you know, the people that love me and the people that I love, our relationship is at a level which is just, it's exactly where you want it to be. It's just awesome. doesn't mean all your sets of friends have to be that. You've got all different types of people in your life, but at least have a few, if you possibly can, where you're totally open, honest and vulnerable. And that will allow you to live your life on your own terms. But it's not easy. You know, we've got to learn the emotional muscle. We've got to learn the words to have the conversations. We've got to learn how to do it. It's just not in building it. Most blokes who are 40 or 50 don't even know how to start the conversation about how they truly feel.
uh, with their partner, let alone their mates and stuff. So, because they're worried about being judged or they're worried that they're not going to be manly and doing it. Well, stuff that. Hey, well, that's certainly the best answer I think I've had to that so far. So, yeah, thank you very much. Actually, now this is something I'm going to start asking every guest. Can you please nominate another person who you think would be a great guest for me to speak to? Oh, I think MG would be a brilliant person to speak to. The most manliest man, but the softest big family man as well, I reckon. MG would be fantastic. I think Steve Beaver Menzies would be fantastic. I think Moses Onrix, the cricketer, would be fantastic. Yeah, actually his stories I found very fascinating in relation to his sport profile and what he's been struggling with at times. Oh, yeah. You're an easy person to talk to, Dean, but you're also wanting people to go outside of their comfort zone and to answer questions where they probably in the past have just had sort of standard answers, you know, so or marketing answers or promotional answers. So, you know, you need to find the right person who's, you know, open enough to, to open up because the questions you ask are reasonably deep and you want your podcast to be something that matters and really means something and has some gravity to it. So, you know, it's important the type of people you get to speak to because you want them to be real. Absolutely. Well, Gus, mate, thank you very much. I really do appreciate you giving me your your time, even though Hugh Jackman interrupted our call. <laughs> no problem at all, mate. Thanks, Dean. But as I said, happy to take a backseat to Jacko anytime, and I can see why you have such a tight-knit group of friends, and there's no better person suited to running Gotcha for Life or looking after men's health, mate. But how can people help you guys? Oh, look, I mean, if you go to gotchaforlife.org, that's our website. There's a whole lot of information there on people volunteering. Obviously, if people would like to raise funds for us or if they um, would like to donate, that would be the absolute, you know, the greatest thing for us because we just need funds to keep the programs ticking over to get as many people as possible. But, you know, just if people are listening along and they just say, you know what, I'm going to be open and honest with a friend of mine this weekend. When we eventually get out of this, I'm just going to change the way that I have my friendships. Then that would be the greatest thing, you know, for me just to that and then hopefully that friend can then relax and then that will start a bit of a a movement for blokes to realise it's okay not to be okay and you can bumble around and you don't need to have all the answers and we can tuck away this so-called perfect Instagram world and and just live our lives the way they're meant to be which is ups and downs and with, with lots of love and people around you that actually give a shit. That would be my greatest thing. Well, Gus, thank you very much, mate. I really do appreciate your time, and it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Good on you, Dean. Thanks for your time, mate. Lots of love to you and all your listeners. Thanks for listening. Tune in to Lifting the Lid next time when we talk to someone else.